So I took off my sweater because I have a feeling I'm going to get worked up at some point and just be better for everybody. Um, we'll be in Matthew 2 tonight if you want to go ahead and open up real quick. Um, but before we really dive into the passage, I was thinking today my dad is in Mississippi. And for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Mississippi. That's why I talk and look a little funny. So, um, <clears throat> so my dad's in Mississippi, and I played baseball all through high school as a young child all the way through college. And um, I was struggling my sophomore year, um, and it was really weird. So we went to a 6A school. We had like 30 people in my graduating class. So playing a school with probably 2,000, 3,000 people in their high school, and I'm like 150, right? And so we go there. It's their senior day. I'm really struggling. I can't hit. And my coach, like, calls time out of nowhere, and he walks up to me, and I'm, like, in the batter's box, and I'm like, what, you, what is going on? Like, we're playing a game, you know? And he says, come here, come here. And he says, close your eyes. And he said, I want you to imagine yourself hitting the inside of a baseball, so for those of you who don't know, it's not really anything important. You always want to swing inside out, okay? And so in that little blip of time, he changed my perspective and how I was trying to hit the baseball. And I ended up swinging at the next pitch, hit a triple, and it was like, I was like, this is incredible. Like, this guy actually knows what he's doing, right? And so I was thinking, you know, I want to I get in the right perspective before we actually dive into our passage tonight in Matthew 2. So I'm going to have all of you close your eyes real quick. And I want to value the seriousness of this passage tonight. And, and I want you to realize and recognize the magnitude of the gifts that we get to give to Christ. And so as your eyes are closed, I want you to just let your mind run as I kind of lead you on a little journey. I know it might be a little scary, but trust me, I'm not going to take you anywhere crazy. So, out of nowhere, the rapture happens right here, right now. And in the blink of an eye, you see yourself sitting in your chair as you're rising through the sky, right? And you're flying at the speed of light faster than you can even imagine or could have, and yet slow enough to where you can still process what's going on. You look around and you see people that were just sitting next to you flying through the cosmos. And you fly past Jupiter and past Saturn and, and you start recognizing some people are a little bit more happy and some people are a little bit more nervous about what's going on. And some people even look like they didn't expect to even be here. And you pass the stars and you keep on going and all of a sudden you come to this huge wall, like crystal, almost like glass but you can't see through it. It's dark. And as you turn your head back around, you see this guy just fly right past you, right through it, like he was almost preparing to go through this wall at some point in his life. And then you look around and you see other people flying right through, and then you look down the wall a little bit, and there's this guy who sticks his hand through, and all of a sudden, he gets sucked through. And you figured, well, something must be behind that wall, right? And so you kind of lean your head into the wall a little bit to see if you'll actually go through. And you go through, and all of a sudden, you're in this beautiful place. It's heaven. You start realizing what's going on. 
And you start looking around, and again, you see some people that are just jumping up and down. They get to see their grandparents again. They're seeing brothers and sisters from across the world that they got to fellowship with on this earth. And you look around, and you look over, and there's a, a guy moping around. And, and you start getting curious, and out of nowhere, you hear your name. Come here. And you don't know how, and you don't know where to go, but you just start walking. And you find yourself in this long hall. And it feels like you're getting in line to go on a roller coaster. It's going to take forever. And yet, in the twinkle of an eye, you're at the front door. And as the doors open, you find yourself on a platform. And you look up, and all of a sudden your knees get weak and you fall out. And your face is on the ground. And as you're falling down, you get a glimpse of somebody in front of you. His hair is white as snow. His face has lightning and thunder coming out of it. His clothes are as white as you've ever seen. You can't even imagine something this white. That's how pure it is. His feet is bright brass, and, and as you're on the ground, face down, you finally get the courage to look up, and you see him face to face for the first time. You see his eyes and they start getting hotter and hotter, and as they look at you, it's almost like they're dividing you. And you look around, and, and there's some objects there. There's a little bit of hay on the ground to your right, and you see some gemstones in front of you, and, and there's this huge stone statue of yourself right off to your right in the distance a little bit. And you start realizing what's happening, and, and it starts getting hot, like real hot. And all of a sudden, stuff starts burning up and exploding around you. And, and by the time it gets done, you look around and there's just a few little objects of gold and, and silver and, and a few stones left. And, and you hear, child, what do you bring as an offering? What do you have? What's left? What are you going to give to me? All right, now you can look up. Hopefully that wasn't too, you know crazy for anybody. But, but what I wanted to do, like I said, I wanted to change our perspective. This is going to happen. And all those details describe the glorified Christ in heaven, sitting on a throne. This was the judgment seat. And so, what gifts are you going to bring at the end of your life to the judgment seat? What gifts are you going to be able to offer? <clears throat> what are you going to be left with at the end of the day? Is it going to be statues of yourself? Or are you going to value and choose to pursue in and, and giving yourself the ability to present gifts worth giving to a king at the end of it? So tonight we have an opportunity to be moved to action, to see gifts, and to see what to strive for. And so hopefully we can do that tonight. <clears throat> and so in our passage, Matthew 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art not the least among the princes of Judea, or uh, Judea, 
<clears throat> For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the, t- the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come unto the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So before we begin, keep in mind this is going to be our thesis. This is going to be our, our idea, this, this concept that we want to grasp tonight. To have joy when we see Christ face to face, you'll need to overcome adversity through preparation, through pursuit, and through the presentation of gifts worthy of a king. And I've kind of already hinted at that, but I just wanted to lay that out clearly so we can kind of get this perspective of what we're trying to gain tonight. And so your first blank there is preparation. And we see this in verses 1 and 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now we, we see that these guys knew that this star was coming, right? Like they saw this star, right? And, and I don't know about you, I'm kind of jumping down, but I, I don't really see stuff appear that often in the sky. And so it, it hints to us that these guys were looking, that something was coming, right? So they knew to look for something in the east, but how? How did they know? Who, who are these guys? Who are the wise men? So if you look at the text, they only knew that the star was appearing and that it was moving. If they knew more, I'd guarantee you they probably wouldn't have gone to Herod. Why would they go to the king if they're already searching for the king, right? But really, all we know to this point is the wise men are looking for a star and it was moving. That, that's all we really know at this point. But how did they know to look for it? So in Numbers 24, 17, it says, I shall see, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. Therefore, or I'm sorry, there shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. So we know there's a star, and we know it's capitalized, right? But we don't have the time um, to really dive into it, but I just want to compare another verse with you to kind of give you an idea of what's going on with this star. In John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a pretty well-known verse amongst the Bible, right? And so we see an inanimate object described as a person or a thing, like an inanimate object. So the Word is Christ, right? But the Word is also our Bible. It has a dual application, right? And so the same as this star. The star has a dual application in Numbers 24, 17. The star is Christ that's going to rise, right, and rule as people. But also the star is just a star. 
right? We always take the Bible literally until we can't. And so the star is a star. And so um, these men were looking, waiting for centuries. Like, we're not talking about a lifetime or two. Like, oh, yeah, granddad used to tell me this story. I mean, we're talking about generations and generations all the way down um, from really Daniel, which was a couple hundred years before this time period, right? And so there's also not an equalization, I guess, if you will, between wise men. And so there's a couple different types that I've been able to find through the scriptures. And the first comes out of Deuteronomy 1.15. So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men, and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, captains over hundreds, captains over fifties, and captains over tens, and officers among your tribes. And so we see guys that are wise and known, right? We see aged men. And, and this would be the equivalent to what we would say is smart people, right? People that have lived life that we can gain advice from. And, and we see in Job 32, 9, right? Great men are not always wise. Neither do the aged understand judgment, right? So we know that individually, not all men are wise. And we can also deduct from that that not all men are foolish, right? If some are wise, some are foolish, but if not all are foolish, some might be wise. And I don't even know if that made sense, but that's what I've kind of wrote down. There, there are some that are wise, is what I'm trying to get, right? And so as I'm, I'm kind of walking through this, right, in, in my own personal study time, I start thinking to myself, right, not all great men are wise, and not all aged understand. And I, I find myself in this weird place where I've gained responsibility in my walk with Christ. And I, I don't say this pridefully, it's just, that's why I'm up here, <laughs> is because I've gained a little bit of responsibility. And, and I don't take that lightly, but at the same time, I can't get pride welled up in my heart to think that I all of a sudden have all of the, the best ideas, right? And I've got all the answers. I've, I'm in LFBI. I've got all the answers, right? That would be foolish, right? And so I have to keep this mindset of being humble. I, I'm not age, for one, but also if I consider myself wise, I become a fool, right? And so just keep that in mind as well, just as a little gold nugget, if you will. So back to the passage. The second type of wise men that we see is a group, a collective group of people. And our ver- our, um, this is our version of saying scholars or philosophers, if you will. If you look in Daniel 2.27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the, secrets, the secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king? So old Nebi, King Nebi, he had a dream, right? I dreamt a dream. And so I love, like, just the, the little hint of sarcasm. Like, you've got all of these groups of people. Like, can't one of them tell you what's going on? Like, you're coming to me. Like, you mock my God, you mock my word that I study, the Bible, right? And yet you, you come to me and ask, why can't your guys? What's wrong with your guys, right? And so, through this, Daniel was prepared to give an answer, right? Not only was he prepared, he was confident in his answer. 
And so we, we look down in that same verse in Daniel 2, verse 48 now, after Daniel had already answered him what his dream was about. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and, and made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon, the chief of the governors, over all the wise men of Babylon. Over all of the wise men of Babylon. So in that huge list that I just read off to you, wise men, astrologers, magicians, soothsayers. He was just made over the governors and like all the magicians, like you guys are excluded. I don't think so. I don't think so. And I, I think it, it encompasses everybody. And there are other passages that we can go to, but for time's sake, we just can't tonight. Um, but you can look, look them up in Daniel. They're, they're scattered all through Daniel and how Daniel, well, we'll get into it. <clears throat> so this is a group and hopefully we can all agree on that tonight. So there's no point, right, in it just being the one group. We agreed on that. So what, what does this mean for the, the astrologers, the wise men, the, the soothsayers, right? Well, they now had access to Scripture. They had access to prophecies, to Old Testament laws. And now they were about to experience years of preparation and growth in their walks because of one man. Because Daniel had an answer for the king. These men were preparing for this moment for centuries, just to get one chance to look at Christ face to face. To experience the joy of getting to fall down on their knees and worship him. But the journey didn't stop, and thankfully not. Which leads us now into our second point. This is their pursuit. So we had their preparation, we saw that. Now we're going to see their pursuit. And this comes out of verse 1 again, but also 7 and 9, or 7 through 9. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the day of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So they came, they were moving, they were pursuing, if you will. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, so he sent them away, right, to go pursue in, in another direction. And said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. So we see the need for preparation earlier, and now... We're going to see and look in depth of their pursuit. And, and whenever you see pursuit, and Craig hit on this in big church. If you weren't there, go listen to it. It's a great message, I think three weeks ago now. In, in the face of pursuit, whenever you start gaining a little traction, you're going to face opposition. It's, it's almost a guarantee. And if you don't, I would argue you're probably not going in the direction the Lord's telling you to go. Because this makes Herod extremely upset, even though he kind of disguises it. And we don't see it until later in the passage. But what we do know is Herod is a picture of Satan. And obviously Satan wants to stomp out anything that has to do with Christ immediately. And so as they start on their journey, they face the king of the land, per se. And, and he hears there's a new governor. And, and governor is, 
is synonymous with governor and king. They're, they're kind of one and the same if you look at the context. So he's mad. But it's interesting, like, he doesn't want to work for it. Like, he, he just wants them to hand it to him. Like, oh, you go search. Like, go over here and you search. And then when you find him, come, come tell me so I can handle the situation how I want to do it, right? And, and isn't that the world's, the world's way of working, right? You deserve to have everything. You, you shouldn't have to wake up and go to work. You shouldn't have to sacrifice 30 minutes in the morning to get in the Word. You should just have it. You, you've got the knowledge. You, you've got the wisdom, right? But I, I think it's interesting also, in the face of opposition, Christ uses this opposition to send worshipers to Him. How incredible. How incredible the picture of Christ using people that have a will of their own to fulfill His will, to fulfill His plan for humanity. And so if we look down in Matthew 2, 12 through 13, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And so we hear, you know, all the time, like those cliches, like there's no safer place to be than in God's will. Is it? I mean, is it? I would agree it is. But what that doesn't mean is you're not going to face opposition and you're not going to face spiritual attacks. You're definitely going to. And, and we know that because of John 16, 33, right? These things I have spoken unto you that ye might have peace. Oh, praise the Lord. I want peace, right? In the world, ye shall have tribulation. I don't want that. <laughs> but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, right? Amen. So we can have peace in the, face of oppos- or in, in the face of tribulation, which is amazing. This verse should be extremely comforting. This verse should be extremely peacemaking for you. This verse should be a wake-up call for some of you. It was for me, for sure, when I came across it. And it made me reflect, am I really pursuing Christ? So really step back. Really step back and think about it. Are you pursuing Christ? Are you reading on a daily basis? And I know, you know, you hear that all the time. Are you, though? Like, are you even waking up and just reading a chapter a day in Christ's Word? Are you letting the water filter through your mind and through your heart to purify you? Are you diligently doing anything for the Lord? <clears throat> Are we placing ourselves where Christ is as a group, as the well? Do you look around and, and think that we're following hard after Christ? Right? Just like the wise men did with the star, we have to align ourselves with Christ. And we have to prepare to do those things, Right? If we're not in His Word, how are we going to know where Christ is? How are we going to know where He's working? Right? And so, Hebrews 6, or excuse me, Hebrews 11, 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. 1 Corinthians 3, 12-13 Now if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest. 
for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ephesians 5.10-11 Proving that excuse me, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with them, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 12. For we hear that there are some which walk among, among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. We don't have time to wander around and do nothing, guys. We don't have time. We just don't. We have to get in His Word. We have to align ourselves with Christ. Ephesians 5, 15-16 See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Man, aren't the days getting evil? When we see Christ face to face at the judgment seat, Will you have joy? Or will you sit back and have nothing to show for your life that He gave you while everybody else around you is laying stuff down at His feet? Are we truly preparing in order to see His movements? And when He's moving, are we truly aligning ourselves with the work that He's working? Our last point tonight is the presentation. And this is going to be the presentation of the gifts like we saw in verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so first of all, just think about this for a second. This is a young child. This is a young baby child. I could not get past this for the past two weeks. It blew me away. Like, I'm not getting on my hands and knees in front of a child. I'm just not doing it. Not in a barn at, at any cost, right? But these guys knew exactly what they had in front of them. And, and they not only fell on their face and worshipped him, but they brought him physical gifts. And so the only gift that we're going to actually take a look at tonight, we're actually going to look at two. Sorry, I, I added an, another one because I saw it and you didn't claim it. So, so there's worship, right, as well. And, and, and our worship to Christ is a gift. And, and we'll see that a little bit later on, but also I, I want to just kind of hone in on that for a second, of why they were worshiping, and what does it actually mean? And so, you know, colloquially, if that's even the right word, we, we often think of, like, worship time, like we worshiped, right? And that is true, but that's not biblical worship. Right, and so we teach here at First Baptist the law of first mention. And that's just the first time a word is mentioned in the Bible. And so we see the first mention of worship in Genesis 2.22. And when he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And then Genesis 22.5, And Abraham said unto the young man, or excuse me, unto his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad 
we'll go yonder and worship and come again. And so I added verse 2 in there, even though it doesn't say worship, but it, it mentions sacrifice, right? It, it mentions take your son and, and offer him as a burnt offering. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> what would it take for us to find joy at the judgment seat? Would it take something like this? Would it take a relationship with Almighty God like this? And, and I think so. Right now, now don't get me wrong. The Lord will never, ever ask you to sacrifice anyone. Ever. Never. Okay? Do not go and sacrifice somebody and tell them Zach told me to. I didn't. I didn't say it. But I do want to ask, are you willing to sacrifice that snooze button? Are, are you willing to sacrifice going out to eat once a week, maybe, to give to missions? Are, are we willing to give up a Saturday to rake leaves for the elderly people in our church? Right? It, it, it really isn't that hard, y'all. And, and that's what I've come to figure out, right? I, I, like I said earlier, I grew up in Mississippi. I'm not, you know up here on the education scale, right? But praise the Lord, the Lord is simple. The Lord is so gracious that he, he makes everything simple for us, right? It's not that hard. So do, we have to develop a mind of giving, in, in not just giving, but sacrificially giving. <clears throat> so, are we willing now with, with this perspective to maybe just walk across the hall and share the gospel with somebody. You know, it's Christmas and, you know, I'm all in. You guys saw my sweater. I'm all in now. I, I put up the Christmas gifts and, you know, I, I enjoy having a good time. You know what's going to be great is getting to see lost people that get saved in heaven right. worshiping at the feet of Christ with me. That's going to be great. And so I'm not here to talk about worship unfortunately, because we, we could turn it into a, a five-part series. You know, it, worship in the Bible is amazing, and it's great, and you should go study it. But we're really here to talk about gold, right? And, and that's our gift for tonight. And so, like most things, gold is a physical object that represents something greater than itself in the Bible when you compare Scripture with Scripture. And so, I was looking through it, right? <clears throat> and there's right around four, 400 references of gold in the Bible, and I was like, man, this is a crazy number. And then as I was looking, I noticed like these patterns of like, like there's 20, there's 17, there's 14. And it was like, what is going on? And I started reading in depth a little bit more into these passages. And I found 17 verses that mention gold in Exodus 25. And in Exodus 25, they're building the tabernacle for Christ, for the Lord. <clears throat> In Exodus 28, there's another 17. Three chapters later, there's 17 mentions of gold. And this is talking about how the priests are supposed to approach Christ or approach God. And, and they're supposed to be pure. They have to go through like all these, you know, systematic regiments, I guess, if you will, to, to approach God with all these mentions of gold right around it. There's 14 mentions of gold in 1 Kings 6 through 9. Three, three chapters. And, and also, there's 21 mentions 
in 2 Chronicles 1-5. through And both of these chapters are explaining how the temple is built. And so what we conclude from this is there's a connection clearly between the holiness, the purity, and the deity of Christ and God and gold. Right? Where, where the presence of God is, there's gold mentioned all through it. <clears throat> and so it was, it was a little bit hard for me to study at first because I, I already knew the answer before I, I had the question. And, and that's the cool thing about hanging out with believers. But don't get caught up in the, the parakeet um, philosophy, if you will, which is basically gold represents deity of Christ. Hey, gold represents deity of Christ. Did you know that? No, go study it for yourselves. And that's what I actually had to find myself doing for this. And I didn't even realize until Corey, myself, and Nick talked about it, is I knew the answer before I knew the question. And so I knew the end from the beginning, right? But I still needed to find the patterns. And so as part of my preparation, I had to get into the Word and, and, and really dig it out and uncover a lot of things that I, I really didn't know. And I encourage you to do the same thing. <clears throat> and so, through this, I kind of saw three patterns of Christ as king, right? And the first time, he came as a humble king, as a humble servant. And he wanted to be accepted of his own people. And unfortunately, as we know, now that we're in the church age, that didn't go according to plan. And praise the Lord for that, by the way, because we wouldn't be sitting here tonight. The second time we see Christ in the Bible is in our dispensation, in our church age dispensation, right? And, and this is cool because it's almost our choice still to make him king of our lives, right? And, and I say that because if Christ isn't king in your life, none of this stuff applies. It doesn't matter. And if you don't know Christ as your king, please talk to one of us leaders tonight. Man, there's nothing greater than giving your life over to Christ and, and allowing him to control your daily activities and everything that you do. And then the third time. The third time is the coolest time when Christ comes back, <clears throat> which will be his second coming. And this time we get to see him with power and authority and also on a throne. And so this is where we begin to see real deity connected to Christ, right? And so in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, it says, and then shall the wicked be revealed, or excuse me, and then shall that wicked be revealed. And also, if you want a good study, go, go study out capital W, wicked. Whom the Lord shall consume with his spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So this sounds awesome and scary all at the same time. And as I was like pondering it, you know, so part of doing this is like, I, I like nonstop think about this stuff all the time. And so I'm just thinking like, this is going to be awesome. And this is, oh my gosh, like I, I have to see this, like, this is going to be terrifying, you know? And like, I'm kind of playing ping pong in my own head and, and praise the Lord. This is awesome. It really is awesome because this is when Christ is going to finally defeat evil and sin for once and for all. Right. And so now we're going to jump over to first Kings ten eighteen. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. And then 2 Chronicles again, 9.17. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. So we see the deity in thrones, right, and, and kings. And, and they just kind of 
go hand in hand, if you, if you will, they're two peas in a pod. But if you want more proof of Christ's deity connected to gold and to a throne, let's look at Revelation 4, 3 through 5. And it says, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the sight like unto an emerald. <clears throat> and, round, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings in the voice, and there were seven lamps of burning, excuse me, <clears throat> of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Right? And so now we get to see there's crowns involved with this throne. And I couldn't help but think, just sitting back and imagining, like sitting at his throne, just worshiping him forever. You know, I, I used to be a little bit afraid of, of eternity, like the concept of eternity, because we can't really grasp eternity, right? And, and Brett came and, and spoke, and he's a pastor. If you don't know, he's a pastor in Michigan. And he said it would be scary to think of worshiping Christ at his throne on your hands and knees forever if it wasn't so stinking awesome. And I was like, wow, like, dude, that's a perspective. I want that perspective. I, I want to think about it being awesome and, and having the right perspective of Christ that I get to worship him for all of eternity on my hands and knees. It's awesome. And so let's go back to the question, what gift will you bring, right? What are you going to bring? What's the, what offering? What will you worship Christ with when you have everything? <clears throat> are you pursuing so you can present now? And so we see crowns, right? There, there's these elders sitting with white raiment and crowns on their head of gold. And so we see a, a few different types of crowns in the Bible, and I want to take a look at that real quick as well with you. And so the first crown we see is the crown of rejoicing. Excuse me. And this comes out of 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, <clears throat> which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. And I don't know if I said it, this is the crown of rejoicing. So do you want to see him? Like, do you really yearn for Christ? And I, I don't mean like, oh, I don't want to get up for work, all the shows in heaven. I mean like, man, do you really like want Christ to come back? Do you want to see him face to face? Do you love his appearing? Or are you afraid? Are you afraid to see him face to face? So hopefully this crown can be given to every single person in the well. And I do truly mean that. I hope we yearn for Christ to come back. I hope we pray for Christ to come back. Man, I don't want to be here anymore. I love you guys. Man, the more I get closer to Christ, the more I just want to be with Him. Truly. The second crown we see is the crown of life. This comes out of James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We also see this in Revelation 2.10. Fear none of those things 
which thou shalt suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so, <clears throat> this crown is given to people that fight temptations, that endure testings. And, and this is the crown of life whenever you give your life, if you will, if you sacrifice things in your life. And so we see, right, you'll have tribulations, you'll have temptation, right? And the only way to fight temptation is Scripture, guys. The only way to fight temptation is Scripture. The only way to fight temptation is Scripture. Are you hiding His Word in your heart? If you want to know about temptation and how to fight it, go check out Matthew 4. See the example that Christ gave us when He was tempted. And go check out Psalm 119.11. Most of you know that by heart, but it's still a great verse. <clears throat> I want to just throw this out as well. Not every day with Christ is, is going to be on top of a hill. And as a matter of fact, the closer you get to Christ, the more you're going to walk in a valley. And it's going to be dark, and you're going to be separated from a lot of people in this world. So just be prepared and, and continue to pursue so you can gain this crown when you get into heaven. The next crown is the incorruptible crown. <clears throat> and we see this in 1 Corinthians 9.25. And every man that striveth, striveth of, for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. <clears throat> and so these are the masters of the Christian faith. These are the people that are pursuing Christ so they can find joy at the judgment seat. Hebrews 12.1 Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The answer is stop sinning. That's it. Stop sinning. And start running. Start pursuing. And I know I keep harping on this, but guys, it's important. We have to pursue Christ with our whole lives. The next crown is the crown of glory. This is 1 Peter 5, 2-4. through 4. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but, by will, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. <clears throat> so this is given to the people that value discipleship. These are given to the people that value shepherding. This is given to the people that are in samples. Are, are we being examples to younger believers in our church? Do younger believers, do any believers, look at the well and say, man, I want to I be with them. Those guys are following the Lord, man, and it looks awesome and it looks fun, right? Are, are we edifying each other? Are we building each other up? Do we value growth the way that Christ values growth? And so the last crown we see is the crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. For what is our hope and joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? 
for ye are our glory and our joy. And so Paul's teaching the Thessalonians, and, he, and he's talking to them, and, and he's saying, for ye are our glory and joy, right? And this is my favorite crown. This crown's awesome. Um, I really want to study it more in depth than I had time to. But this is a soul-winning crown. This is for the evangelists of our world, of our time. These are the people that don't care, that are fools for Christ even, right? Man, I want that crown more than anything, and I hope I get it. I hope I take time every day to look for opportunities to align myself with Christ to share the gospel. I hope all of us do that. So in conclusion, what are you striving for in this life? If your life ended tomorrow, are you saved? Do you know Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? If not, again, please talk to me, Corey, Tricia, Oakley, anybody that's been coming here for a while. And you can look around and and you can find somebody to talk to. Please do that tonight. The wise men put themselves in a position to learn. They prepared so that they could pursue when the opportunity arose. And through their pursuit, they aligned themselves with God's work. They faced opposition, but they overcame. Just to have one opportunity to give a gift to Christ. When they saw Him, they did the only thing they knew to do. They fell down and worshipped Him. And this caused them to be consumed, to be overwhelmed with joy. To have joy when we come face to face with Christ, you will have to overcome adversity. You will have to prepare. You will have to pursue. And you will have to present a gift at the end of the day. What are you doing now to be able to do that at the judgment seat? Let's pray. Lord, I love you so much. Thank you so much for this passage, Lord. Thank you for the example that we get to see through the life of the wise men, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing it to purify our lives, God. Lord, I pray that we take this tonight and we go out tomorrow, Lord, into our workplaces, into the world, and into lunch for the students here, Lord. I pray that we find an opportunity to share the gospel with one lost soul. God, I pray that you come back soon. I am ready to meet you face to face, Lord, and I know people in here are also. God, come back and save us soon. Take us back home so we can rejoice with you forever, Lord. God, I love you so much. It's in your name I pray. Amen.